Hello there. This is Jim Mosley, your host on the Bible History Guy radio broadcast, sponsored by Winterwood Creative. We're dedicated to turning doubt into Christian faith through facts. So if you have questions about God or the Bible that you would like answered, you can reach me through our website, www.thebiblehistoryguy.com, or you can email me directly at jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. That's jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. Today's broadcast comes from my latest book, The Biographies of Jesus' Apostles. Most readers of the Bible have only a vague notion of who Jesus' apostles were, how they were related to each other, and what exactly they did. This book takes readers alongside the apostles, reveals the world through their eyes, and accurately retraces every known step of their lives. When I first read in the Gospels that Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they dropped their nets and followed him because he promised to make them fishers of men, I was impressed by the faith of those four men. How extraordinary that they should just walk away from their adult life as if they were slipping out of a coat and walk into full-time ministry with Jesus, a complete stranger. Well, I don't want to diminish the faith of the apostles, but it wasn't quite like that. Jesus called the four fishermen into full-time ministry in May of the year A.D. 30. But five of the disciples, Peter, Andrew, John, Nathaniel, and Philip, had begun to follow Jesus about eight months before, back in the month of October, in the year A.D. 29. That's when they heard John the Baptist declare that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And they spent some time with him, went back to Galilee with him, and there celebrated the wedding at Cana. After the wedding, Jesus, his disciples, and his mother Mary, and his brothers and sisters all went over to Capernaum and had a little holiday together. And after that, Jesus disappeared from the pages of Scripture for 157 days, or five months. He reappeared in Scripture with a bang, cleansing the Jerusalem temple for the first time in March of A.D. 30. Some of his disciples were with him because they went around the Judean countryside baptizing people. And then Jesus returned to Galilee through Samaria, where he met the Samaritan woman at the well, and his disciples were with him there. Then Jesus ministered throughout Galilee, preached in the synagogues, did miracles, was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth for the first time. And only after all that did he settle in Capernaum and finally call Peter, Andrew, James, and John into full-time ministry. So you can see that by this time, the four fishermen already had a very intimate acquaintance with Jesus. But that acquaintance probably went back a lot farther than the events of the years A.D. 29 and 30. Two of Jesus' most prominent disciples, James and John, were the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee's wife was a woman named Salome. And it is very probable that Salome was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so it's very likely that James and John were Jesus' first cousins. 
Now, James and John were also the business partners in the fishing industry with Peter and Andrew. So the relationship of James and John and Peter and Andrew must have gone back some years. And if indeed James and John were first cousins of Jesus, it seems scarcely possible that Peter and Andrew wouldn't have known Jesus, the cousin of their business partners, going quite some time back. Now another disciple, Judas Thaddeus Labias, commonly known as St. Jude, and that's not the author of the book of Jude, that's a different person. Well, St. Jude may very well have been the son of James, the son of Zebedee, and if he was, he was Jesus' second cousin. Here's the reasoning for that. Luke 6:16 6, identifies Judas Thaddeus as Judas of James. Many translations interpolate the word Judas, son of James, which is probably correct. The question is, son of which James? Since Luke mentions James without any further qualification, he must mean a prominent James. The three famous men named James in the New Testament were James, the elder, the son of Zebedee, James, the son of Alphaeus, also called James the Less, and James the Just, the younger half-brother of Jesus. Now, St. Jude was probably not the son of James the Just, Jesus' half-brother, or James the son of Alphaeus, because neither of these men would likely have been old enough to have had a son who was old enough to be a disciple. But there's no reason why James the son of Zebedee might not have been five or ten years older than Jesus or the other men named James, and therefore could have been old enough to have a son, old enough to be a disciple, Judas, the son of James. Now let's think about James the Less, the son of Alphaeus. If he's called James the Less, it's logical to ask, less than what? Well, he's probably called the Less because he was younger than James, the son of Zebedee, the more famous disciple. But here's a curiosity. James' father was a man named Alphaeus. Matthew Levy, the tax collector who became a disciple, also had a father named Alphaeus. Early church writings, and you can get the details of this in my book, suggest that indeed Matthew Levy and James the Less were brothers. And their father, Alphaeus, who was also known as Cleophas, was the brother of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. It is, therefore, very likely that James the Less and Matthew Levy were also cousins of Jesus on his stepfather's side. According to the writing of Hippolytus, an early church father, another disciple, Simon the Zealot, was probably a brother of Matthew Levy and James the Less also, and therefore he may also have been a cousin of Jesus. Early church tradition, not exactly certain, but early enough, suggests that Simon the Zealot was the bridegroom at the wedding in Cana. And that would make a lot of sense because if you recall, Mary, the mother of Jesus, took control of the wedding when they ran out of wine and asked her son Jesus to do something about the problem. And that's when Jesus intervened and turned water into wine. Well, it's kind of strange that Mary would take such a dominant role at the wedding, unless, of course, she happened to be the aunt of the bridegroom. Now, Nathaniel Bartholomew was another disciple who was from the city of Cana. So it's very likely 
that he also attended the wedding. He was brought to Jesus by the disciple called Philip, and Philip came from Bethsaida, a little town on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It means fish town. That's the meaning of its name. The same town where Peter and Andrew were born. So it's extremely likely Philip's family and the family of Peter and Andrew must have known each other. And Philip was Nathaniel Bartholomew's friend. So they all must have known each other from an early age as well. Well, however all the relationships in Jesus' spiritual family sort out, what we can infer is that in a small region like Galilee, family and business relationships were closely intertwined. All of the 11 disciples were from Galilee, except possibly Judas, whose name Iscariot means from the town of Kiriath in Judah. And yet it's even possible that his family may originally have been from Judea and may have moved to Galilee, where Judas may have been born. We just don't know. A little known fact is that even the Apostle Paul was born originally in Galilee. We don't think of that because we always refer to him as Saul of Tarsus, or Paul of Tarsus in southern Turkey, what is now southern Turkey. But in fact, he was born in Gishala, in Galilee, and his father took the family to Tarsus when the Romans occupied that territory, something anathema to the piety of Paul's father. So except for Paul, probably most of the disciples, if not all of them, grew up as boys together in Galilee, and as such, they would have made with their families the four annual pilgrimages from Galilee to Jerusalem, which were like big multi-family picnics. Those festivals were the Passover, Pentecost, the High Holy Days in Fall, and Hanukkah. Passover occurred in the spring of the year, and God told Moses in Genesis that the Passover would mark the beginning of the year. The Passover celebrated the time in Egypt when the angel of death passed over the houses of the children of Israel and spared them, while the firstborn sons of all the Egyptians perished. This was also the season of first fruits, because this was the time in Israel when the first crop barley, became mature, and was harvested. All the families from Galilee would travel down to Jerusalem, or up to Jerusalem as they called it because it was high on a hill, and celebrate this festival together. The next festival came 50 days later, and it was called Pentecost. In Greek, pente means 50. And that was the day commemorating God's giving the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, and it was also the time of the second harvest of the year, that of wheat, which is why wheat became an offering in the temple at this time of year. The third festival season was in the fall, and there were actually three holidays at that time. The first was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when Israel reflected on its sins and repented of them. Yom means day, Kippur means covering. And that was followed by the Feast of Trumpets because they blew on these great trumpets to inaugurate the feast. And it was also called Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. It was called the head of the year because it was in the middle of the year, in the sixth month. After that, in the fall, came the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And in that feast, all the Jews built little 
tents or tabernacles or booths, and they dwelt in them and had a merry festival, eating and remembering how their ancestors had wandered in the wilderness and lived in tents after the exodus from Egypt. These were the three festivals ordained by God. The fourth festival in December was Hanukkah, which celebrated the restoration of the temple after the enemies of the Hebrews, the Greeks, had captured and defiled it in the second century BC. So most of Jesus' disciples had been making these pilgrimages every year for all of their lives, from children up through adulthood. So Jesus called people into his earthly ministry who were related or well-known to him. They were not total strangers. This is Jim, the Bible History Guy, and you've been listening to material from my latest book, The Biographies of Jesus' Apostles, Ambassadors in Chains. Imprisoned in Nero's Rome, Paul wrote, I am an ambassador in chains. Well, apostle means ambassador, and these long-suffering ambassadors of Christ bore the gospel over tens of thousands of miles from Jerusalem to Africa, Europe, and Asia. They planted churches, had heavenly encounters, worked miracles, wrote all-time bestsellers, were shipwrecked, flogged, imprisoned, and martyred, and yet they broke the chains and turned empires and kingdoms upside down. This book takes you on a journey of discovery back to the first century, experiencing how, against all odds, these embattled and triumphant ambassadors in chains so perfectly fulfilled Jesus' great commission. You can find the biographies of Jesus' apostles online wherever books are sold or on my website, www.thebiblehistoryguy.com. On the Bible History Guy website, click New Books, and then the first link takes you to the book in the Kindle version on Amazon, and the second link takes you to the paperback version online. You've been listening to the Bible History Guy radio broadcast, sponsored by Winterwood Creative. You can reach me, Jim Mosley, directly through my email, jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. That's jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. 